Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. We've got episode 46 ready to go. I've got Kurt here who is also ready as we near closer and closer to the 4th of July holiday coming up, uh, I think, late next week. We will undoubtedly use that as an excuse to talk about barbecue and all of our favorite foods, and you will likely put up with it if you're still listening to the show, which we always appreciate. Send us your comments to MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com, and we're on Stitcher Radio. Subscribe to us on iTunes. We love reviews on iTunes. And I've got all the shameless promo housekeeping stuff out of the way. Now we can get to what you came here for, which is Kurt. How are you, Kurt? <laughs> Doing well. Had a good week. Enjoyed myself. I did a little mountain biking, hanging out in nature. It was a lot of good. It sounds like it was better than the week you had. Yeah, yeah. I had a rough week. My wife had to have a surgery, and we have a six-month-old baby at home, so... I was the only one that could take care of the baby, so it just completely sidelined me. And now I'm back in the office. I kind of told her, said, I love you. You got to get back on the horse today, though. <laughs> you know, I got I to gotta do some work. So uh, glad to be back in the office, and I'll go check on her here in a few minutes. Good. Everything's okay? Everything's doing well? Yeah, yeah, everything's fine. No problems. Right, Routine thing, a procedure that uh, medical science has down well now, the appendectomy. So we uh, we got that out of the way. People are doing that for fun, I hear. It's so routine, right? Yeah, it's, exactly. It's so much fun. I told her, I said, hey, you're never going to have to do this again for a fact. I know That's that. That's right. Now, do you get to bring it home in a jar and keep it, or how does that work? You know, I don't know. I got one of those, and uh, they showed yeah, me a that's picture. Right. You had one a while back, too, huh? Yeah, yeah. They, they showed me a picture of it, and they didn't hold on to it. So I, apparently nobody needs them, so they just kind of toss them out. I'll toss them out. Maybe some of the water you're drinking out there, you're both getting the same procedure done. Maybe so. Yeah, we have neighbors that both had it done, too, which was interesting. Uh, so. Something you got to look at. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I still still hold on to mine. Oh, well, look at you. You with your fancy pants water and still having your appendix. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. It is one of those things. Well, good. We're having a great time doing the show. We really appreciate all the listening. We got some very nice feedback from some of you last week about how what we're covering has been very helpful for you. And please don't be shy. If you want us to go into more detail on something else or less detail on something, <laughs> just let us know at the email address. We're here for you guys. We're here to give you valuable information because persuasion being one of those soft skills, persuasion is a huge topic, obviously, and I think we've we've more than hammered that point home on the show. But what's so great about it is you've only got 24 hours in the day, but any persuasion skill that you can add allows you to accomplish more faster and gets you to make more money faster w within the in industry that you're in. So that's what we're here for. We want to help you get better at that and uh, just send us your feedback at the email address. Speaking of being more productive, uh, I probably, Kurt, what you're going to talk about in the geeky article moment, and I think we need to start selling a, a sponsorship, right? The, this <laughs> geeky, geeky article, article moment, moment brought to you by Subway <laughs> or <laughs> something like that. And legal disclaimer, it is not brought to you by Subway. We have no affiliation or endorsement by Subway whatsoever. But we have eaten there. Yeah, well, I don't like Subway. See, now there went every have, shot that we have. There you go. But you have eaten there, so you can kind of do it. 
I eat there when I'm in a foreign country and I'm starving or when I'm driving through the middle of nowhere and that's all there is. I did not foresee that we would bash on Subway for the show today, but here we are. There we go. Yeah. So what do you got about this standing up in meetings? Kurt thinks that we should stand up in meetings and we'll be more productive. Weirdo. Tell us about it. <laughs> well, you've been in plenty of meetings with me. You know, the longer the meeting, the more I start sinking in my chair, sinking, uh-huh. sinking, <laughs> sinking. Yeah. So there's a challenge. So this is from the famous Social, Psychological, and Personality Science Journal. So if you must know, that's where the article comes from today. Oh, thank you. I was dying with curiosity. <laughs> I know you were dying to know that. Yeah. And basically, the new research has found that standing during meetings, it creates more excitement. What it does is it reduces people's tendencies to defend their turf or their area. They're standing. It's just a different feeling. We've talked a lot about meetings and ceiling heights and temperature and colors and how all those things play in the world of persuasion and influence. But they found that removing chairs could be a very low cost. I mean, that's easy. Just throw them in the dumpster, right? It's also has an issue on health effects and because people are sitting in a place too long that a lot of times can create poor health problems. A lot of, even in people's offices, when they're alone, they're not sitting as much as they used to. So the study they did is they asked college students to work in teams for 30 minutes to develop a recruitment video for this university. And half the teams worked in a room with chairs and they sat down around a table. And the other one just had a table and no chairs. So after making the videos, the assistants took a look at it as what's going on as far as which one was better and what happened. And basically what happened is the participants wore these small sensors on their wrists to measure psychological arousal in their bodies and how they reacted when they got excited and what happened. And it also you know, did it activate their sweat glands, all those fun things that we like to know. But basically they found out that those who stood in the meetings were less protective of their ideas. It reduced their territoriality. And it led to more information sharing and higher quality videos. Basically, by standing, people weren't holding on to their territory, to their area. There's more information. They were more open. And the videos and the, the end product turned out a lot better. Instead of it being an individual effort, it was more of a team effort just by standing up. And this has been a big trend for a lot of corporations who are creating conference rooms because, A, it does this. But the original reason they did this is because it makes the meeting shorter. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> right? If you do a 15-minute powwow, some people call it a scrums, you know, you, whatever the name be, it's just 15 minutes, everyone's standing up, everyone's taking notes, they're doing their thing. So it also makes the meeting shorter because you're not sitting down, you're not getting comfortable. But it does all these other things too as far as the mindset's concerned and that energy, that creativity. And the interesting one to me was that territoriality where people holding on to their ideas and not sharing, and it was their territory, their area, their department, that was dramatically reduced. That's pretty interesting because how many times do you see that in a, in a office where somebody is – from your point of view, very illogically defending a position. It doesn't really make any sense what they're doing. And how many times does it come down to that corporate politics and territoriality like you're talking about? And I guess for some reason, if you're standing up, who who cares as much about that kind of stuff? I wonder what's going on in the brain to make that happen. That's kind of odd. It is. I think part of it's just the standing. There's more energy. I think I said they were more roused psychologically. Maybe we're just thinking better. And it might be just that association trigger of when we sit down around the boardroom, everyone's there. You tune out. The meeting's too long. Yada, yada, yada. I got things to do. And it just might be the physical response of sitting down and getting ready for that and your brain shutting down, doing something a little bit different changes it up a little bit. 
I think so. When I sit down in a meet, I, I think I have literally maybe a 15 minute attention span in a meeting now. Like it's just, I've been to so many of them and so many conferences and I just can't do it anymore. If they shook things up and made it a little bit different, maybe all those old habits that I have about paying attention in meetings would go away because I just, yeah, I, I was in one yesterday and looking at my iPad, answering emails, doing all kinds of things because I just can't sit there anymore. And it's happened to so many of us for so long over such an extended period of time. Meetings are, wow, they're on their way out if, uh, if anybody had anything to say about it. Agreed. And I think part of it, too, is the, the length. If we say it's 60 minutes, we say it's 90 minutes, that's how long it lasts. If we say it's 10-minute powwow, 15 minutes, and we keep to that, I think it'll change it up quite a bit. Yep, yep, good ideas. Make those meetings shorter. Um, that's a good result just by itself. But then when you break down those walls of the territoriality and the, and the turf and the, and the politics, uh, much more effective. So if you're a business owner, you're an entrepreneur, Get together with your team in the morning, do a quick powwow standing up. Might be something to think about, according to the study. That's the geeky article moment that is not brought to you in any way, shape, or form by Subway today. Thank you for sharing that, Kurt. And we have some information we want to get into. We've been getting lots of feedback from from you listeners about negotiation. Apparently, you have to negotiate, and I know I do. In fact, I was negotiating a deal this morning on a real estate deal. And then earlier than that, I was negotiating with my four-year-old daughter. Uh, that's always happening, and it's some of the most cutthroat Russian mob-style negotiating I've ever seen with her. She is intense. So we all have to do it in our personal lives, in our business. If you're running a charity, if you're involved in a church, it's happening all the time. And I've always kind of thought, Kurt, that grown-ups are just five-year-olds with bigger problems. And when it comes to negotiation, that really comes out because it's amazing to see these 50-year-old business people use these techniques that you know they used successfully on their parents when they were five years old. And so they just have gotten in the habit of doing these things that are really quite childish, uh, really quite manipulative, and in many times just downright dirty. That's why you call them negotiations dirty deeds. And unfortunately, I've had to compromise. We could not get the rights to ACDC to play the, the song. We're still working on it. But what do people need to know about negotiations, dirty deeds that, that they don't already know? Or, or what's kind of a quick crash course on that? Well, the crash course is that they're still being taught and they're out there and you will face them. And when we do these three-day negotiation boot camps, you can see when we talk about these people start going, yeah, I've had that one, I've had that one, I've had that one. And the big thing is, being psychologically prepared for these to happen because when you're blindsided with one of these, when someone uses a psychological trick you're not ready for, it can really hurt the results you're getting in the negotiations. And I don't teach the dirty deeds of negotiations so you can use them. I think there are plenty of other tools you can use so you don't have to. But I teach them so that you're aware of them, so you know exactly what's going on, what's happening. When it happens, you're like, ah, I can handle it. And that's the big piece here is that some people only have a few tools and this is all they know and they've been trained to use these. Now, there might be a few here you can pick up and adjust that really aren't that dirty and we'll talk about a few of those, but the reality is most of these are pretty dirty. They're very old school, but the main thing is here is I want you to mentally prepare that, yeah, some people are going to use these dark, dirty tricks on you and if you're not ready for them, it could destroy you mentally and, and the terms and destroy what you get in the negotiation. 
Now, before we get going on that, I think for the biggest reason we're talking about this because people are going to use these on you, on the listeners. Do people who use these also expect to have them used on them in turn? And is it good to do that and, and meet their expectations to play dirty, so to speak, because that's what they think is going to happen? You know, if you feel comfortable with it as part of your personality, yeah, some of these you could probably do that. I think most of them, the big red flags that it might be time to run, maybe you don't want to do business with these persons. And it depends how deep they are, how dirty they are, if you're going to use them. So some people are expecting them. Those who play dirty expect you to play dirty. Those who are lying who expect you to lie. That's part of the psychology here. Those who tell the truth, they expect you to believe them. Those who are lying keep going back and forth trying to see if you believe them or not. So that could be part of the process to where if they're going to play dirty, they expect you to play dirty. But understand that when you see these red flags, these things starting to happen, you really got to back up and see if you want to continue with the deal, you have to see if you want to do business with this person and really do a gut check to see if you want to really do the deal you're working on. So you're on the beach in Puerto Vallarta and negotiating with a vendor. Obviously, there's going to be some dirty, underhanded techniques go back and forth. <laughs> you don't really care because you're like, I'm never going to see this guy again. And I know this is marked up 9,000% above cost anyway. Or there's the guy that you're, like you alluded to, Kurt, you're negotiating some kind of contract where your two businesses are going to be interacting going forward. So the use of lots of dirty deeds, you seem to be implying that that's a signal as to how they're going to conduct business on the whole and that this might not be worth it. Is that what you implied? Exactly. I mean, you have to kind of gauge that vendor in another country that you probably never see again is much different. And you can laugh when they start using the dirty deeds on you and you can know what's going on versus the person that's really using these psychological tricks that you're supposed to do business with for the next 20, 30 years. Mm, you have to do a gut check on that to see what you really want to do in that situation. I was telling my wife the other day that I thought, you know, it really is a shame that the people in our lives that we treat the worst are usually the people closest to us, right? Our kids, <laughs> our spouse, our immediate family. Right, we just don't care what what they think, and we we are our worst behaved around them. And so, when you think about that from this perspective that we're trying to look at here, when you meet with somebody, they're on their best behavior usually. When we're looking at possibly doing business together, and so if on their best behavior they're using these shady tactics and these manipulative moves on you, can you imagine what kind of garbage they're going to pull? when you're now in their inner circle and you're a supplier and you're working with them. I think that that's why it's good to use this as an indicator because, man, if it's bad now, it's only going to get worse is, is probably a good general rule. So what are some of the we'll, – we're probably going to have to stretch this out into a couple of shows because, I mean, this is crazy. You pick up a sales book from the bookstore, not that there are many bookstores anymore, but you know, pick it up on your Kindle or on Amazon or something – and they teach some stuff that you read that and you go, okay, I got to take a shower. I am never going <laughs> to use that technique. I wouldn't say that to my own mother. And it's still being taught. So what would you say are a couple of these that are still out there that are so 1975 used car lot type techniques? Oh, uh, there's a ton of them. And well, just the one that we've all seen before. And and maybe it's not as dirty as the others that is still being taught. You'll see it every once in a while, especially if you're traveling to different countries, is what I call the flinch, 
where they just, when you tell them the price or the proposal or the budget, they fall off their seat. They're shocked. It's highway robbery. Their mouth is open. You know, how could you do that? Out of control, right? And what that does, it sets up their ability to get more. They're adjusting your expectations. You see it in real estate. You see it in every aspect of business. You see it in different parts of the world where in Asia, where you say, well, how much are the glasses? And those, you say, well, $20. And if you don't flinch, they'll say for the frames. <laughs> well, how much are the lenses? Well, $20. If you don't flinch for each one, right? They'll keep going because they're expecting that. But the flinch is something that you see all the time. And they're just trying to adjust your expectations to where they're just out of control. How could you? That's highway robbery. That's so much higher or so much lower than I expected. And when that happens, with all of these, you just stay in control. And when that happens, you just ignore it. You keep your emotions in check. And you just ask a question, well, what did you expect to invest just to see where they're at? Was it just a knee-jerk reaction or you're probably closer than you think? And you see the flinch quite a bit. Again, this is not as dirty as a lot of the others we'll be talking about. It's just something that's being taught, that it's out there, that if you're not ready for it, a lot of times we come back and we just keep, well, how about this? How about this? And we keep lowering. We we self-negotiate with ourselves and it really destroys what we're able to do. So, okay, the flinch, they're going to use it. They're trying to adjust expectations, the way to defend against that. And I think this especially applies to the white and the blue personalities, the more passive personalities, because when there's something uncomfortable happening on the social level, they tend to take it the hardest, right? And the flinch really kind of decimates those personality types I've found. And like you said, Kurt, you just have to, to ignore it. You know, what I've done before is I've done the reverse flinch. How, you ever heard that move before? <laughs> the reverse flinch. Reverse flinch. Tell yeah. us. Oh, no. Somebody says, oh, I can't believe that. Say, I can't believe you can't believe it. What, what am I missing here? Flinch back <laughs> at them. And it, uh, it really equalizes the footing uh, really quick and, and takes that technique away, I've found. Well, and part of it, too, is just being prepared mentally. You know what your numbers are. You've done your research. And they're trained. One of the things they do train people to do, and this is not dirty, but they do train people to say, even though when they're ready to go, they've accepted all the terms in their mind, they're going to say, is that the best you could do? Yeah. And you have to be prepared to say, yes, it is. Because they, they could be ready to go. They're just trained to do that. Again, it's not dirty for them to do that. But if you're not prepared mentally for the flinch, or is that the best you can do? Wow, you could get some terms that aren't very good for you. So I had this happen to me yesterday, a couple of dirty deeds. And I'll, I'll tell you because I want to get your take on it. But I was selling a handgun that I own. And because I'm switching it out for a different model. And there's a, a website here where we live that you can do that on legally and and everything is on the up and up. And I had my price. The, the, I was going to sell it for 350 bucks. okay, uh, for you uh, wacko gun people like me. It was a Glock 17 Generation 2. And uh, for you that are not gun people, I just lost you forever, and I'm sorry. I, I put on this website for 350 bucks, and this guy messages me, and he says, hey, would you take 300 and I go back to him, and I I did what you said. I said, I've only had it on the website a couple of days, and I'm getting a lot of interest. So you know, if it hadn't sold by this day, then maybe I'd consider it. But right now, I'm pretty confident I'm going to get that price. So he comes back. He says, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it at 350 And it turns out we've got to meet. He lives pretty far away. Each one of us is going to make a half-hour drive uh, to meet at this place. And he pulls what I think was kind of a, just an annoying, dirty deed. But there was nothing I could do about it. He goes, I stopped at the ATM, and they only had 20, so can we just do 340? <laughs> what am I going to do, right? I just drove for a half hour, 
uh, we're, we're signing the papers, we're doing everything. Is that a, a conscious dirty deed or is the guy just an idiot or both? Oh, no, that's conscious. <laughs> yeah, you I'm, bet it was. Ugh, I mean, I'm he could have gone to a convenience store and bought a soda and changed another 20. There's so many things that could have happened there. And we see this all the time with real estate to where they say, well, I'll tell you what, we're going to bring a check for oh, $200,000 and we're done. You're all excited. You've sold it. You've made your money. And they said, you know, all we could get was one ninety-five. They've got a cashier's check. It's right there. It's right in their hand. That's all we could do. That's all they would. Okay. It's obvious. What do you want to do? And Wow. Yeah, that's pure dirtiness, and you have to decide at that point, okay, is it worth the effort? Sure, the guy's a, and you can fill in the blank there, that he would do that to you. It's so dirty. I mean, come on, we're all humans. We're all, why would you do that to somebody? But that's how some people are programmed, and you just had that, at that point, had to decide, okay, 10 bucks. Is it worth the principle to go back and do this all over again? Is that worth $10 of my time, you know, my the principle of doing that? Or do you take it? Now, in a real estate situation, you can say, well, that's fine. I'll take that now, but we're going to need the rest, the 5000 here, the terms. We're going to need that in the next 30 days. You could probably do something because you have a little more leverage uh, with that property versus handing somebody a gun. But, yeah, that's pure dirtiness. There's no way around that. Yeah, and I kind of made the quick decision that this is I'm here, right? What's the opportunity cost? I'm going to get this over with. If it was on a piece of real estate or something that might be a, a relationship where we're going to be transacting business on a more regular basis, I think I probably would have backed away and I said, oh, hey, look, I, I understand how ATMs work, uh, but uh, this is the deal that we agreed to. And, you know, I've got plenty of other interests that I can go to on this. So what would you like to do? Right. And, yeah, and that's a judgment call in that situation. You'll never see that guy again. All right. You're probably happy with the price. There's a principal thing there, putting your foot down, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. But then you have to think, too, all the time and the effort and the gas and doing this and the other things. And he knew that. That's yeah. why he did it. Yep. And he's done it before. Yeah. I should have said, nah, 360. <laughs> That's right. Well, 20s, let's go up. Why yeah. Go like, why do we got to go down? We're talking in 20s here, you know. <laughs> or you, say, you should have said, well, I got change right here. You got another 20, you know. And... I should have done that. Yeah. Hey, this is a note to everybody on those cash deals. Yeah, take some change with you. You can negate that dirty deed real easy. <laughs> and, and make sure it's a public place. <laughs> yeah. This was a Walmart parking lot. <laughs> there you go. Oh, all right. Good, good. What are So we've got those two dirty deeds. What are the other ones that are people are going to commonly see that are still taught or just shady, ugly, dirty deeds? Well, one that we see quite a bit, and we've talked about this before, the, the heckler, someone that's trying to go back. And a lot of this, the dirty deeds or heckling somebody comes back to our childhood. We like to tease people, and they're looking for a reaction. And this usually happens in a group setting. There might be five, six, seven people in on the negotiation, and... We see this person that might say, well, that was a stupid thing to say. Well, really, how old are you? Do you always have to get your way? Just really emotional jabs going after you. Why do they do that? Well, they're trying to gain control, throw you off your guard. They're trying to get you to have an emotional reaction. And when someone throws these at you, these real zingers, things has nothing to do with what you're talking about. You might want to agree on, yeah, that was a stupid thing to say, right? Just agree with them. Don't get emotionally involved. Stay in control. Kind of measure your audience. See where they're at as far as are they supporting you? Are they supporting the heckler? What's going on? But you have to realize that that Chinese proverb that says the person that strikes first admits their ideas have given out. And so when people are throwing things at you, you have to gauge. They just don't know what to do next. They're getting emotionally involved. Are they really trying to get you angry? But all of these stay in control. And understand what you need to do to take it to the next level. Do not get involved with that. Because even with teasing, 
when you tease somebody growing up and there was no reaction, you moved on to somebody else. That's true. That's true. I told my the, the four-year-old daughter that I mentioned the other day, we had some kids over at our house. We were taking care of everybody. We take turns with the neighbors on this deal. And I don't know if you've noticed, but two-year-olds, they're, they're just complete wild animals with no fear right the, they'd go Especially bite a, if they're boys yeah exactly they just don't care they'd go bite a cougar and they wouldn't care you know they're just fearless and this two-year-old that was at our house uh, she's in this phase where she just go up to any kid and just smack them on the head you know she's just kind of seeing what's going on and she kept doing this to my daughter my wife and i we got a little argument about this but i just told my daughter i said hey look you're low-hanging fruit <laughs> and the kid knows that she can just hit you and nothing happens. So what should you do? And my wife said, don't tell her to hit. And I said, well, I'm sorry for the real life lessons, but it's true. I mean, it's these hecklers, these people, the bully types, they, they move on to somebody else that is going to give them the reaction that they want if you don't. So I think that's a very good point. It's true. And I love, I love talking a lot about Jim Rohn as my early mentor, but he used to say, well, they're bullying me, or they lied to me. He's like, well, they're supposed to. They're liars, right? <laughs> they bully me. Well, they're supposed <laughs> yeah, yeah. to. They're bullies, right? Yeah. yeah. They're using their dirty deeds. Well, they're deceptive. Well, yeah, they're deceptive people. That's what they do. You can't get all caught into that. That's what they do. That's how they are, and we can't get sucked into that world at all. Yeah. I've had that happen in a meeting once. Somebody was taking pot shots at me, and I gauged the temperature of the audience, and I just looked at everyone, and I said, I think we can all agree that throwing insults around isn't going to be a very productive use of our time. So if we can all agree that uh, we're just going to have a constructive conversation going on forward, then I'm, I'm willing to continue. And I just looked around at everybody and everybody nodded and, and uh, it, you know, it was thrown out there in a way that made the guy doing it feel pretty stupid. And of course he stopped doing it. And if were he could to continue doing it, I positioned myself where, you know, I could clearly toss the guy right at, at that point. I had the license to, License to toss, if you will. <laughs> well, that's why it's important to gauge the audience, like you mentioned, because if they're not on your side and if you say something that offends most of the people in the room, then they're going to be throwing you out. Yeah, yeah. We've seen that before. The, the Michael Richards debacle that we've mentioned. <laughs> exactly. Kramer melting down. Not cool. Well, we're going to get into more of these because there are many, many dirty deeds. We're going to get into more of them next week on the show uh, because, like I said, we've been getting a lot of feedback from you. If you have any dirty deeds that people have used on you that you want to talk about or address on the show, send them to us. Re write us up a quick summary of what happened and why you think it was a dirty deed. If you did anything about it, tell us what you did. If you didn't and you want to know what you should do, let us know. And we'll, we're happy to talk about it on the show here. But we're going we're gonna to wrap up today's show with a quick Homer. Kurt, cue him up. Bring it on, Homer. Don't, don't, don't. So I told you that I had been kind of sidelined uh, working at home for the last week or so, and I was taking care of the baby one night, and I love to watch infomercials because I am so wildly entertained, yet <laughs> so, you know, I, I learn so much from infomercials. It, it's just funny about them because a lot of times what they do is very, very effective, but also just completely shameless, and you can't believe that you're seeing it, right? <laughs> So I wanted to see if you thought this was a blunder. This was for an infomercial that was teaching you how to make a bazillion dollars in the stock market. And, you know, you get on there and it was going to tell you what trades to make and when to make them and how to do them and, and all this stuff. Tell you everything to do. If, if you were to just kind of be checked out late at night, you would swear that, hey, if I just give these guys $5,000, I'm going to go buy a Porsche 
two weeks tops before I can afford a Porsche. So they're doing this and then they start running the testimonials, right? Bill from Sarasota and Fred from Tacoma. And they're bringing these guys on there. And they get this guy on there that looks like he was from the backwoods out, right out of the movie Deliverance. You ever seen Deliverance? <laughs> no, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. There are a variety of states that he could have been from, hypothetically. And we've insulted them on the show before, so I won't name them specifically. You can if you want. <laughs> but this guy had the stinkiest, yellowest teeth that you've ever seen, messed up hair. And, you know, some people on testimonials, they're selected because they just look so average, right? They just look like somebody that you wouldn't even pay attention to if you passed them on the street. This guy wasn't average. He was so, so below average. And he said, yeah, I'll go on that program, and I made me $37,000 last year. And it was just over the top. I, I know the, the testimonials, we have to relate to them. We have to find something in common with them. But I got to wonder, who are they targeting with this guy? Is this a blunder, or am I just grumpy again? I get the persuasion grumpies every now and then. <laughs> The blunder depends on how believable it is. I mean, you're seeing right through that. Obviously, social validation is huge. That average person, they're like me, is huge. And sometimes they go to the other side and say, wait a minute. If they can do it, hello, I can do it. Now, notice they don't go to the other extreme. They don't go, you know, I have a PhD in economics, and I found this very easy to use. It's like that would probably have the opposite effect. It's like, wait, he's got a PhD, and he's doing this, and he, right? They will never go yeah. that route. I mean, this could almost be the blunder ninja. See, the ninja would be if you thought to yourself, if they could do what I could do and you called up, that would be a great move. But if you're seeing right through it, wait a minute, too much. There's no way they couldn't do it. It would have the opposite effect. It would actually be a blunder. So it would be interesting to see in an intercept group how many people really buy this testimonial. Yeah, yeah, because I'm I'm watching it from my perspective. But I know that these infomercial, these marketing companies are not stupid. They have a ton of data. And they are running this infomercial at that time of night on that channel and that location for a reason, right? So they do. Yeah. There probably were 100,000 people watching that said, hey, that's Billy Bob. I can do it too, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you have to remember, they, they show it late at night, not only because the media is inexpensive, it's because your buying resistance is down and, and you believe things a little bit more. And if you see an infomercial over and over and over again, you know it's successful. Watch it you know, and watch the formula and the social validation, the scarcity they use and how they adjust the perception of price. It's a great tool to really learn persuasion and influence because infomercials have such a high failure rate, well into the 90%, that when you're seeing one that's working, it's worth watching and taking notes and, and even calling up and seeing how they try to upsell you into something else. But it, it's a great way to learn persuasion and influence. Yeah, yeah, it's fish in a barrel for these guys if, if the infomercial keeps running. And, and you're right, the whole... Call now, nine ninety nine risk-free for 30 days. If you think you're going to call that number and say, yes, I'd like the nine ninety nine deal and give them your credit card number and hang up, you're crazy. <laughs> you're going to go through the upsell gauntlet of the century. And they word these things so carefully to where all of a sudden, 30 days later, you get your credit card statement and how many programs did you sign up for that you weren't even aware of? Yeah. <laughs> and it's a monthly, and you're going to be on that thing for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's easier to cancel the credit card than it is to unsubscribe. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> well, good. Kurt, 
that's uh, about going to do it for today. Do you have anything else you want to add about dirty deeds, geeky articles, or late night infomercial blunders? Well, this dirty deeds, you have to understand, I think a big one that a lot of people don't realize when they go into the negotiation, every time you add a body, that it, it complicates things a little bit more. And when you bring in a lawyer or a real estate agent or a, somebody else to help you out and you're paying them by the hour, you have to remember that these people tend to hurt the negotiation more than help, especially lawyers. If they've got a half hour without saying anything and you're doing pretty good and things are happening, moving along, they have a tendency to prove their worth, right? They'll throw a wrench in it. They'll do something else. They'll say something out of the blue. I mean, you're doing pretty good on your own. You're doing some things, and here comes this lawyer saying something, and it might be helpful to you. It might not, but you have to be careful that remember to remember that, A, they work for you. You might want to leave them home. You might want to bring them, but be very careful that a lot of times that because you're paying them by the hour, because they work for you, they want to prove their worth. They want to prove their intelligence. They might throw something out that could be very, very hurtful to negotiation and really hold you back to finding that perfect agreement. You know, I, I I know we don't want to elongate the show, but that happened to me a couple of months ago on a property that I had uh, purchased and was reselling. We put a lot of money into fixing it because it was very dated, and we had some people come along that wanted to buy the property. They put it under contract, and those of you familiar with real estate know you have an inspection period, a contingency period, and we were within that period, and they brought an inspector out to the house who didn't have very good things to say about the furnace, in the property. He said, you know, the furnace is older, it's functioning, but it's older. And in our mind, we're going, hey, it works, right? You know, <laughs> the furnace doesn't have to look all pretty. It blows hot air out. What else do you want from us? And they were causing all these weird objections about this. We'll come to find out the father of the purchaser was a retired HVAC technician. And so he was proving his worth. Right. He was given all these things and all these doubts and all these concerns and saying, we're not satisfied. So we realized, you know, what we got to do here is we got to enlist this guy and make him feel like his worth has been proven because then he'll go away. and <laughs> This isn't a problem anymore. And so we told the we told the buyer, we said, well, we know we probably have some very competent people advising you. What would you suggest? And they said, oh, well, maybe this and that and the other. And we said, well. We found that that's not typically going to work, but this might work instead and make us happy and make you happy. What would your advisors suggest? And so now we were framing the debate, right? We were, you know, kind of de de defining the field that this guy was going to be able to play within, and we were able to rein him in and get the deal done. But it's it, you're right; they they have to prove a point and prove their worth, and and uh, getting the deal done is not their priority. It's proving their worth. Yeah, you got to be really careful. Again, they work for you. They weren't doing it on purpose. It was just kind of an easier reaction that they have. Oh, I haven't said anything. And they say something You're like, whoa, whoa, where'd that come from? And all of a sudden, it puts a wrench in the whole negotiation. Yeah, it does. Well, we'll, we'll get into more of the dirty deeds next week. And we look forward to getting your comments, questions, concerns, insults at MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to the show. We're always happy to have you. And we will talk with you next week. See you next week. 